You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Well, if you're able to remain standing, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, to that iconic foretelling and promise of the Messiah King. The sermon text is going to be on verses 6 and 7, but I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Verses 2 through 5 will not be on the screen, but verses 6 and 7 will. But this whole section sets the stage for this announcement. Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. God's people said, hallelujah. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. As we just read before, Isaiah gets to that iconic promise. In verses 6 and 7, he begins this glorious section in verse 2 by saying, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Christmas is a time for great hope. It's a time to reflect and marvel at the first coming of Christ Jesus into the world. John, the gospel writer, says that when Christ came, the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. When Jesus came into the world, he brought with him great light. That's what Isaiah is saying. Great light has shone among us a way to see through the darkness, a means for true illumination and hope in a very dark world. And yet, the light that he gives in his first coming is a peculiar light. It's not like the light that will be at his second coming. At Christ's second coming, no one will be able to escape the light of the kingdom. 
Paul says that at the end of the age, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his second coming, there will be no escaping the light, but in his first coming, it is a peculiar light, isn't it? At his first coming, the same light of this kingdom comes, but it only shines upon those who are desperate for it. The shepherds in the field, the prostitutes in the street, those who know they're sinners, those who know they're furthest away from the kingdom in God's economy means they're closest to the kingdom. Those who are meek and weary, tired, tired of their own efforts, tired of starting a new year with new resolutions only to see them fail by February 2nd. The light only shines in his first coming upon those who are desperate for it. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is coming in ways that cannot be observed. Nor will they say, Jesus says, nor will they say, look, there it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is in the midst of you. It's a peculiar kind of light. So then, if Isaiah is right, and a great light has broke forth in the first advent of this Messiah King, and great salvation and illumination comes through this light, here's the question of all questions. How can you see it? How does one see this light dawning in their own hearts? How? Well, again, for Isaiah, listen. The light of the kingdom does not come through an abstract idea or a philosophy. Unlike every other world religion, Illumination does not come by a new philosophy or an abstract idea or even clean living. No, according to Isaiah, the light of the kingdom comes through a person, a king, a child born. And if a great light is going to dawn in your life, you must see the one to whom Isaiah is pointing. You must see him as he is. You must see his humility. You must see his divinity. And you must yield to his sovereignty. And so that is going to be the breakup of our brief sermon this morning. To see the light dawning. In your heart, you must see the Christ child's humility, his divinity, and you must yield to his sovereignty. First, his humility. Just in the first part of verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. How does great light dawn in the darkness? How does the kingdom of God come into the world? How does it break forth? 
through the vulnerable birth of a baby. 700 years after this prophecy concerning the Lord's Messiah, the New Testament writers would interpret Isaiah 9 to be the foretelling of the birth of Jesus Christ in a small village in Bethlehem, the city of David. The one who supposedly holds the universe together by the word of his power now allows himself to be held and passed around the one who covers and protects the people of God would now need to be swaddled and cared for and fed. But to our surprise, 700 years after this prophecy in Isaiah 9, to our surprise, there was no ceremony at his birth. There, there was no Lion King moment where, where Joseph found some platform and he held up the baby Christ child and all of the kingdoms of the earth applauded. There was nothing like that. No, it was a humble birth. It was quite ridiculous, actually. Jesus was laid in a manger, a feeding trough, in an obscure village in Bethlehem. The Magi from the east came looking for the king of the Jews. Where is he? And they found him among animal feces and filth. I love going to farms, but I hate the smell. That's the last place on earth I would want one of my children born, and that's the first place that God the Father chose for his. They didn't find him in a palace, cozying by a fire. No, they found him. In the cold of night, they found the light of the world in the dead of night, in obscurity, in humility. That's how the light of the kingdom breaks forth into humanity. That's how it happens. Why? Why not a palace? Was God short that month and he couldn't provide? Why not? Why not a big ceremony? Why? So humble. Here's why. To show the world a kind of power they have never seen before. To show the entire world a kind of king who conquers by way of love and not force, not coercion, not by horses or chariots, to show the world a kind of power they have never seen before and will never see again. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, was perplexed as Jesus stood before him, the supposed king of the Jews, bloodied beyond recognition with a crown of thorns twisted on his head, Pontius Pilate says, this is the king of the Jews? This man? This man looks ridiculous. He's humiliated. He needs a doctor, not a throne. He needs saving. He's no savior. And so there Jesus stood before the great honorable governor 
Remember Jesus' response to Pilate. Calmly, confidently, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. My light doesn't shine like yours. My power comes from a different source. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. They'd be using force. But my kingdom's not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so, so you are a king. And Jesus responds, you say that I am a king for this purpose. Now, who talks like this? For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I came into the world. No one should ever talk like that. No, no, none of us announce our birthdays like that. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I decided to come into the world. Jesus signified in that brief moment his pre-existence. I came into the world for this purpose. At every point, at every point in Jesus' ministry, he could have leveraged all of his power to call down fire upon his enemies, and he would have been right to do it. He's the just king. We were guilty. But instead, Jesus wants to show the world a kind of kingdom, a kind of power they have never seen. As another remarks, real power is the ability to change someone, not control them. Real power is the ability to change someone, not control them. See, if you want the light of the kingdom to dawn in your life, you have to see the love of God displayed in the humility of his son. This is the kind of power that changes a person. This is the kind of power that change, changes us. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Perhaps more humiliating than his birth was his death. When you see the love of God on display through the Son, when you look at the cross of Christ, his ultimate display of humility, you will no longer see weakness there. You will see a king there. You will see power. When the light of Christ dawns in your heart, you don't see a ridiculous figure pinned to a Roman cross. You see a powerful king changing people. John Stott writes this in his famous book, The Cross of Christ. He says, I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha with his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, Stott says, after a while, I've had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding and thorns pricked, mouth dry with an intolerable thirst. 
plunged into God-forsaken darkness, then Stott says, that's the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. And he entered our world humbly. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Is that the God for you this morning? Don't you see the otherworldly kind of power this king brings? Do you see his humility? Jesus says, for this purpose, I was born. To us, a son is given. So that's number one. You have to see his humility. If the light of the kingdom is going to dawn in your heart, you have to see his humility. But that's not all, beloved. You have to see his divinity. You have to see his godness. Look at verse 6 again. Isaiah goes on, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Any speculation that this child would be like any other leader born in Israel, any speculation that this was Hezekiah or some other king in Israel is done away with at the names that are given to him. This cannot be like any ordinary king or any ordinary leader. These names exist to reveal to us the nature of this child, the essence of him. Friends, in order for the light of the kingdom to dawn in your heart, you must see that Jesus is not merely an extraordinary example of humility and service. You must see that he's more than that. According to Isaiah, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The role of the counselor is to bring the wisdom of God's word to the problems in the lives of God's people. And here Jesus is not only the wisdom of God for the people of God. Isaiah says he is the wonderful wisdom of God. He's the extravagant wisdom of God. He is the extraordinary wisdom of God. He's the ultimate solution to your weary heart. But Isaiah continues, he is not only the wonderful wisdom and counselor Lest we think the Messiah is merely a revelation of the wisdom of God, Isaiah goes on to say that his name shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is nothing short of a thunderous announcement. This is a thunderous announcement. No wonder his shoulders are broad enough to carry the cosmic dominion of God on them. On his shoulders will be the government. Isaiah says that the child that is to be born, the son that is given, shares the same nature as Elohim. El Shaddai, Yahweh, God Almighty. Back in chapter 7 of Isaiah, Isaiah writes that the virgin-born child shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's Christmas. 
That's Christmas. What is Christmas all about? God with us. Not God distant from us. God with us. God among us. God in us. The Apostle Paul later would write, for in Jesus, listen to this, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So it's not as though the God is split up into sections. I used to think, you know, the Trinity is like an egg and, you know, you got the shell is the father, the yolk is the son. No, no, no. All the fullness of, it's a mystery, but all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in the son. Emmanuel, God is truly and fully with us in the incarnation. You can't just look at his humility. You have to look at his deity. Who's in the manger? God's in the manger. And beloved, if Jesus' shoulders are strong enough to carry the cosmic dominion of the world, are they not strong enough to carry your souls into eternity? Are his shoulders not broad enough for your worries and anxieties this morning? Paul would also say, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you and he can hold them. And listen, doesn't his divinity all the more enhance his humility? Doesn't his divinity all the more enhance his humility? Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of flesh. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In order for you to truly marvel at his humility, you have to marvel at his divinity. So you must see, if the light of the kingdom is gonna dawn in your heart, you must see his humility, both in his birth and in his death. You must see his divinity, the godness of this child. And third and finally, if the light of the kingdom is gonna dawn in your heart, you must yield to his sovereignty. Isaiah goes on in, in the rest of verse seven. Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, listen to his sovereignty and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And Isaiah, what's going to accomplish this? What's going to see this through to the end? Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The passion of God, the power of God will see this thing through. Notice what Isaiah doesn't say. Well, I'm really counting on the church to really see this thing through with their sort of, no, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus, beloved, we've been learning all month. Jesus is the final prophet. He's the better Moses. He's the final word of God to humanity. But he's more than that. He's also the final priest. 
He's the supreme presence that we were looking for. Between God and man, he's the mediator. And here, from Isaiah 9, we learn that he is the final king who sits on David's throne forever. At the ordination of King David back in 2 Samuel 7, God promised David that there would be one who would come after him, a king, a true king, who would rule from his throne, not for a generation, not for two generations, but forever. And so every king after David, we'd want, they would wonder, is this the Messiah king? Is this the one that we'd be waiting for? No, Solomon would die and his son would die and then they'd get a corrupt king and he would die and another king would rise and he would die and, and so on and so forth until the Christ child is born. And of the increase of his government and of peace, Isaiah says, there will be no end. If you are to see the light of the kingdom, you must yield to the sovereign rule of the king. Many of us are struggling right now in our Christian walk because we don't believe he's actually sovereign. We have a form of Christianity that says that Jesus has come to simply round out my life. He's sort of a life coach. Where I put my goals and aspirations down before him, and he makes sure that I see these things through. Let me just say to you this on this beautiful Christmas Eve. Jesus is not a life coach. He's not a supplement. He's not a butler. He's a king. He's a king. And life comes when you yield to this king. Light and illumination to see through the darkness comes when you bend the knee to this king. He is not only humble, he's not only God, he is sovereign. I don't fully understand why the world is so dark. I know that sin is the root of it all. And that sin has been diffused in all of us and in all the world. I know that's the answer. But if you're like me, the darkness is still perplexing. I don't know why babies have to die in war. I don't know why when two nations are raging that children die I don't know why. I don't know why children have to die in the womb. I don't know why life has to be so hard for some. And yet for others, it just seems like they have no pangs. They have no problems. I don't know why cancer ravages some families and doesn't others. I don't know why there are families where this is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's the worst time of the year. I don't know why. It perplexes me. The darkness perplexes me. I don't know why. There are people that we love that are wrestling with traumas from decades ago. And the darkness seems to loom over them. They know the light. I don't know why. 
I am hard pressed to find all of the answers behind why the world is so dark. Yet what I do know, and so do you, is that we have a king and his light is right now dawning upon hearts that are desperate for him. How do you see the light? You're not going to see the light. I don't know if I'll ever see some of you again. Listen to me. You are not going to see the light if you make 75 resolutions this new year and you try to just kill it. It does not come through a better way of life. It comes through new life altogether. And that new life is promised by this king. Are you desperate for him? Do you see the darkness and are your, does your stomach turn? Do you feel like he's been after you for a long time? I just want to say to you, look at, bend your knee. <laughs> you, you know, the church has not done, we have not done a great job at describing repentance to those who are not Christians. In the book of Acts, it says, repent so that times of refreshing may come. Oh, it is, it is impossible, actually, for you to bend your own knee. I believe God has to move in you before you'll bend. But when you bend, it is the most glorious thing to give up sovereignty. It is the most glorious thing in the world to give up sovereignty. Because you never had it to begin with, and you know that. In order for the light of the kingdom to dawn in your heart, you have to see his humility, see him coming for you, being born for you, dying for you. Do you see him twisted on the cross? Do you see his humility? You must see his humility. You must see his divinity. You must see his godness. And finally, you must yield to his sovereignty. I won't have these verses on the screen, but I want, I want to pull back the curtains with John in Revelation chapter 5. And I want us to see the king who takes the scroll out of the right hand of God and opens the scroll that has all of the answers to all of our questions on why things are the way they are. And I want us to Drink this into our souls. Let me just read it to you. This is John in Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked, John says, and I heard around the throne. This is yet to unfold. This is our future coming. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb and be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you cause through the looking at your son, seeing his humility, his divinity, his sovereignty, would you cause light to dawn in our hearts that we might not only see our way through the darkness, but have life eternal in the sun. Only you can do this work. We are asking for a miracle. I know we are asking for the impossible, but you're the God who speaks and things exist. So would you speak over the hearts of these people this morning? Speak your gospel. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen.